Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither ploughing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and everything you own. I will take care of you there, for there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you, your household, and all your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, without the use of an interpreter, Look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father, of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after they began talking freely with him, the news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brothers have arrived. Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, this is what you must do. Load your pack animals 
and hurry back to the land of Canaan. Then get your father and all of your families and return here to me. I will give you the very best land in Egypt and you will eat from the best that the land produces. Morning, everybody, and welcome to those who are visiting. Um, I'm Maki, I'm the pastor here, and as a church, we've been going for the past um, three and a half weeks uh, through uh, reading the scriptures together, and we've started with reading the book of Genesis. And uh, the idea is um, the whole um, reading of the scriptures is going to last for two years and the sermons and all the things that are going through the week, whether um, prayer, whether discipleship group are going to uh, revolve around the themes that have come out from our reading. So uh, we are towards the end of the book of Genesis. And I don't know about you, but this week I have felt a little bit more relieved reading about Joseph and uh, his um, attitude and the way that God has used him after, uh, so it's taken me a while to recover from what I've read previously from the book of Genesis, but it's been, it's been a very good, good tool for us to come together. And I just wanted to say thank you for sending your questions. Again, we, we would like to hear questions because we want to know how we all are grappling with the scriptures. And also we want to know God better and grow in our love uh, for him. So uh, today is our last sermon on the book of Genesis, and I thought, what a great pl- way to finish Genesis with Joseph. And uh, David, thank you for reading from scriptures. David read from chapter 45 uh, for us, just to, to give, give us a feel of what's going on in the story of Joseph, but also 45 and 46 are the readings for today. So you've, for those of you who have not done it, you've got only 46 to read. So uh, there we are. Uh, actually, 45, 19 till 46 to be exact. But yeah, here we are. Joseph, 13 chapters of the Old Testament are dedicated to Joseph or are to do with Joseph's life. And it's very interesting how we can identify with this people of the Old Testament, how we can identify with their characteristics, how we can, yeah, endorse what is going on in their lives. And I just wanted to to stop in a few moments in the life of Joseph and just uh, draw some parallels and then throw some applications there. And and then um, finish with what the blessing of Jacob is for Joseph. So before we do carry on, let's commit our hearts to God. So here we are, Father God. Thank you that your word is alive. Thank you that your promises are true. Thank you, Lord, that you're Lord over all. I pray that you're going to help us today to endorse the things that you 
bring before our attention. You're going to help us, Lord, with the power to be attentive to what your Spirit is saying. And also, Lord, the power, Lord, to be found faithful in doing what you've asked us to do. So thank you, Lord, for bringing us all together around your word. Would you reveal afresh your character to us today so we may continue our life of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the first time we read about Joseph, or Joseph, um, is in Genesis chapter 37. We've got the story of how he's um, the youngest and he is um, sent to go and help his brothers and in, um, in his kind of special code that the father has made for him, the brothers seem far away and they're so jealous because he's been telling them about things that are going to be happening to him and to them and um, he has upset the brothers, he has upset the parents, and now he comes to go and check whether the brothers are doing well, so he can come back with a word to his father. And there the story begins, because um, is the combination of conversations between Reuben and Simeon, what shall we do, shall we kill him, shall we sell him, let's make some money, and it's sold. He's sold as a slave. And there in his Slavery, he works up the ranks and he becomes one of the guys who is very clever in the Egyptian kingdom. To the point that he is so faithful to Potiphar, his master, that he gets accused for trying to attempt to rape Potiphar's wife and ends up in prison. And there he meets with his two people who have been in prison for the same reasons that they've upset Potiphar. And one of these guys is the main cup bearer. He was the guy who's testing all the foods before the, the king would eat something. And then the, the other one was the chief baker. So they're very, very important roles. And here they are in prison and they see dreams. And they find that Joseph knows how to interpret these dreams. And what Joseph says about these dreams comes through. And therefore, both the guys are released from prison. One of them goes back to his own duty, and the other is being hung up because Potiphar was so angry. And then in that conversation, the cupbearer is begged or is, is asked from Joseph to remember him the day when he comes across Potiphar and to say some good words, to give a good reference about uh, Joseph. And I don't know if you're aware of the first birthday party in the Bible. It's found in the book of Genesis. And I have never read that before. It was this time. Genesis 40, verse 20, is that 
Potiphar has thrown this birthday party. And that is the moment where the cupbearer comes and tells about Joseph. What did I say? Sorry. That's what I meant, Pharaoh. So, there, there we have him. He's able to come to Pharaoh because Pharaoh has seen dreams. And in these conversations with Joseph, there is this interaction about the meaning of dreams. But Joseph makes sure that he says that God has got the answer. God knows about this. It's not his ability. And then we've got the story of how he again gets in second in command, again in the Egyptian empire and uh, kingdom, and then those dreams of um, Pharaoh become true with seven years of abundance and seven years of famine. And here is the context in which chapter 45 that we've read from comes into the picture. This is where famine had spread across the land, even to the land of Canaan. And there is the family. And they hear that the only place that has got food supply is Egypt. I've given you this context so we know where we are with the story and how I want to, to develop a few thoughts about Joseph and his, um, his part in this big story. From chapter 37 till the end, there is one constant characteristic of Joseph. He comes across and we read about him that he's wise, he's very clever, but he's also very faithful. He's very clever in his administrative skills. He's very good economist. He, he knows how to deal with crisis, but he's very faithful. And we've seen the faithfulness of Joseph in the way that he has expressed it when he was approached and seduced by uh, Potiphar's wife. He said that he didn't want to be unfaithful to God, but also he wanted to show loyalty and faithfulness and continue that loyalty and faithfulness with his master. This is very unique, especially as we have read, from what we have read so far in Genesis, in, in a society that is full of promiscuity. He's being wise because he's got that awareness, that fear of God, not because he's scared that God is going to catch him out, but he's got that awe, that understanding of the God Almighty being over him. So he is going to remain faithful to God. He has remained faithful to God. But also the outworking of that 
is that he's been given a task and he's going to be faithful in the task that he's been given. A, in relationship to God, but also in relationship to other fellow beings, fellow human beings. He's very wise and he's very loyal. And in, in this wisdom and his loyalty, we see that he is also successful. Joseph is, is an amazing character of the Old Testament. I, I think there, there is good reasons why the author, the writer of Genesis, has dedicated 13 chapters of his book, of his, his records to Joseph, because there is something here to be admired. And it's, it's successful in a, in a very unique way. Because I don't know if you see, if, if you have noticed, but the reason why Pharaoh and the Egyptian kingdom is blessed is because of Joseph. It's stated, I think it's chapter 38. It's, it's very clear that for him being available and, and carrying on the journey uh, and trusting God in all of this, he's allowing to be a blessing. The reason why Egypt in this stage of their history as a country is that they are blessed because of Joseph. This is success. When you take that God-given wisdom and, and, and you continue to be faithful in order to be a blessing and it's noticeable. What a great lesson for us as a church to learn here that we are and we continue to be a blessing for our communities because we are being wise and we're being faithful to God. And we are sharing this wisdom and faithfulness in the way that we, we, we were acting in our community. Successful because he knew that actually one thing that I've learned from Joseph this time is that if you take the construct of a sentence and you've got the subject and the object, if you look at the way that Joseph speaks about God, God is the subject of his sentences. It's not himself, although he's rightly so very clever. He's very skilled. He's very talented. He's moved in as a slave, has learned a new language, has ranked up the, to become where he is. And yet in his conversations, whether with Pharaoh, whether with the prisoners, whether with his brothers, whether with his father Jacob, God is the subject of his sentences. What a great thing to tune our hearts with, especially as we are a, a very big group of people here with amazing skill sets. 
And this is not to put down your skill sets, but is is in as as you live and as you worship God, is God the subject of your sentence? Or is it your education? Or is it your capability? Or is it your level of success? And I'm just throwing that in just to challenge you a little bit because I've been very challenged by it. Joseph had God as a subject of his sentences. The other thing that I wanted to stop a little bit and talk about is in the way that Joseph deals with temptation. We're going to see that, that actually we have seen it so far in the book of Genesis that it's been really obvious that human heart is really deprived. And it can go in extremes. And here we've got, in the midst of this, we've got somebody who chooses to be faithful to God. And also in the way that he deals with temptation is that he names it. He names it. He says, that thing is atrocious. There is no way I'm going to do that. And we know how, how our Lord and Savior responded to temptation. Although scripture was thrown at him. And I think we've got, we've got something to learn here. And I don't know what, how big or how small your temptations have been this week. But have you been in that position to go and perhaps learn from Joseph to name it and say that is not possible because that is dishonoring to God. I cannot do that. I mean, we've sang that song through the storm and Catherine, thank you for leading us into that last end when we continue to sing it. And I just thought it could not have been any more stormy for good old Joseph. And yet, he wanted, he could not do it. Now, uh, I think one of the chapter titles that somebody mentioned is, uh, was about the brothers or the fallout. I can't remember it very well. But, but here in Joseph also, we've got a good example of what reconciliation means. When actually... The Jewish setup is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Especially now when Joseph is in that position of power. I mean, he, I mean, do you, do you see the authority that he's gone from Pharaoh? You are second in command in the whole kingdom. Whatever you say goes. They didn't even need to come anywhere near him to, just to see them because he recognized them and they didn't recognize him. And yet, reconciliation. I mean, can you imagine to be any of the brothers of Joseph and having that thought of putting your sibling through that hell 
haunt you. I mean, to the point that even later on in the book of Genesis, they're still not sure whether Joseph is forgiven them and let and reconciled with them because now that Jacob has died, they're just worried that it's Joseph's time. And we don't see that. It's, it's amazing how his reconciliation happens, not on the basis of impulse and um, taking the law into the, your hands and sorting it out, which actually it has been the story so far in Genesis. Violence with more violence, deceit with more deceit, anger with more anger, lie with more lies, and Joseph has to put a stop. And he says, reconciliation. When actually, all those 11 brothers, or 10, or 9, whatever you want to, to, to put, depending which, which chapter you're in, they could have been killed. And yet we see that throughout the whole time that he meets with his brothers, we record, well, I've seen it, that he wept five times in different chapters. That's how much he really wanted this to happen. Reconciliation. I mean, we, we, we demand, I, I, I really struggle with this idea that, that I think in this day and age, we demand the people or the leaders just to say an apology. As if them saying an apology is going to resolve the things. And as long as they've said that they're sorry for the actions that they've done, it's okay. Whereas I, I, what I see here in life of Joseph, and what I need to learn a lot, is that actually Joseph is going to go the extra mile. He's going to, to, to endorse that he is down on the path of reconciliation. And that is very, very special. And for the church, actually, it's very special. Because of all people, the church has been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's mind-blowing. Where people, when mankind, when men and women, boys and girls, youngsters, come and reconcile with God. What a beautiful picture that is. And it is our task. It is our calling. It's actually something that we've been entrusted with, the ministry of reconciliation. What happens in the story of Joseph seems to be really unreal. It does not fit realistically with the rest of the book of Genesis. It's really bizarre, unpopular, against all the odds. And yet, Joseph is kept 
and he is carried. Because he has really a clear understanding of God's hand. Even when he sold for some silver and for the sake of jealousy. He's got an understanding of the bigger picture. Even when life is really tough and unfair and he's been mistreated and he's, he's been accused. He's got a clear understanding of God's hand because he knows that God is the subject of his sentences. And then we see, I want to stop for a moment to see a little bit also the transformation in Joseph's brothers. Have you noticed the change in Judah? From a killer to coming to his dad and saying, there is no way Benjamin is going to not come back to you. I'll put my life down to that. There is this transformation that has happened. And I think this is the reason why you see transformation is because actually they, they see that there is something different about this Joseph. He is being the catalyst. The story of Joseph and his brothers is a story of hope. Because although I said to you earlier that who would have imagined the, the regrets and the, the, the grief that the brothers would have carried through the years, I think there is hope. There is hope here. And perhaps you, you're sitting there, you're thinking, I've done this bad thing in my life that I'll never forgive myself for. Well, look at Joseph's brothers. And I'm not saying that this is a license for us to be doing whatever we do because we, in the end, it's going to be all fine. I mean, we have to go to the New Testament to see what Paul says about that. But the truth of the matter here is that there is hope even for your biggest regrets. And the other thing is, there is a change in Jacob himself. And I want to finish with this one. I love, I love how, how Jacob is changed. In his conversations with Pharaoh, Jacob is a miserable grumpy man. He says, I've had a terrible life. And then later on, when he's speaking blessings over his children, he's talking about God being his shepherd. We've not come there yet, but I, I've, I've read a little bit ahead of you. But it's something for you to get excited about. Jacob. Do you know how he started? You remember? Grumpy all his life. Until he's restored in his fellowship 
but Joseph. And then he realizes that his life is not wasted and God has been his shepherd, although he's gone through hell as well. I want to finish with a blessing that Jacob reads for his son and he's blessing all the children but I want to finish with uh, Joseph and his verse 22 of chapter 49 of Genesis and I'm reading from the English Standard Version Joseph is a fruitful bow a fruitful bow by a spring his branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd the stone of Israel by God your father who will help you by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above blessings of the deep that crouches beneath blessings of the breasts and of the womb the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bountiness of the everlasting hill May that be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who sat apart from his brothers. He's done pretty well. Jacob is alive. He's seen him to the end. He's got this blessing. And he has seen that El Shaddai, God Almighty, has been his shepherd. Through the storm, you are Lord over all.